0: Welcome to this week's Art Dirt. This is a Glass Tire uh, bi-monthly podcast where we talk about what we call topical art topics. I'm Christina Reese.
1: And I'm Brandon Zek.
0: This particular conversation, um, I love this. I get real excited about this topic or this kind of umbrella of various topics about spaces we live in and why we live there and how they shape us. But um, Oh, you love it. Oh man, I do. And I've got to say that in this, uh, the staff meeting on Zoom last Monday, when this t- subject came up, everyone got excited, the whole staff, right? It's just something we all relate to. We-, we could call it something like our homes of the pandemic, the spaces we live in in the pandemic um, our shifting vision of home, which would be a borrowed title from something else, but we're all stuck indoors, right? 24 seven, pretty much all non-essential workers, all people who can work from home, people who've been laid off. We're sitting inside our four walls all the time. And there are a lot of factors that go into the spaces that we live in and how we respond to them psychologically and emotionally. And we're having to deal with that in a way that we haven't in a very long time because of COVID and because of the shutdown, but also just the idea of like, when we, when I brought it up at, at this, in the zoom meeting, there were, uh, seven of us and McKenzie, our development manager immediately said, welcome to airspace. Cause welcome to airspace is a kind of an iconic article that came out in 2016, uh, on the Verge, it's a long read about uh, the way spaces across the globe, due to a kind of Silicon valley of the world, has become very homogenized.
1: A lot of these articles are... From like 2016, 2017, kind of reflecting on the the housing collapse or the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, but then also just kind of the natural progression of that. You know, we're also reading, um, I mean, we're reading a lot of things actually in The Verge and The Cut for this conversation mm-hmm. about interior design, about architecture. We'll put links in the comments or uh, rather in the bottom of this post uh, to the things we read. but. What brought this conversation back, because as I said, a lot of those articles were 2016, 17, 18, um, is that just at the end of May, Kate Wagner, who has been... We've talked about once on the Art Dirt podcast before, or rather Christina, you and Rainey talked about her. Mm -hmm. She's the person who ran or runs McMansion Hell, which is a fantastic website if you've never seen it. It, um, Kate Wagner, she's an architecture critic, and this website is is memifying McMansions and their multiple design flaws and questionable choices uh, in a way that's very sarcastic it's very critical um you'll you'll either find it very funny or you'll think it's very mean or i mean i guess it's possible to think a little bit of both because it is a little bit. Oh, of both. I,
0: She's so funny. She's really funny. And, um, and this is still ongoing and she's morphed it over the years when she started. It was several years ago. It was around 2016, but it's become because she's become a more prominent figure in architecture criticism since she launched it. Um, and you can see her byline in various publications. She's turned it into more of a, a, a history of architecture, Trends in architecture, it's kind of now it's a combination of things. It's not just lambasting uh, McMansion kind of postmodernist pastiche architecture. It's a lot of different things. Yeah. But yeah, she wrote a piece that uh, the reason we started talking about it at the staff meeting is she had written a piece called How Normy Minimalism and Farmhouse Chic Took Over Contemporary Design, and she wrote it for Hyperallergic. And it appeared on May 31st, and we all read it. I think this is particularly appropriate for our audience because we have such an aesthetically tuned in audience. Um, A lot of artists and a lot of people who like art, look at art, collect art and are, you know, probably fairly iconoclastic when it comes to like, "Ah, the trends are kind of cheesy and I don't do that, that's (laughs) not going to work for me. Um, so, but I mean, obviously the rise of social media and Instagram and all this really shifted people's access to this, uh, this massive, you know, database of very, of these much more homogenized images. And so in and around 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, things happened like apartment therapy and dwell. There were, Mm -hmm. oh, there were, um, websites like, uh, fuck your Noguchi coffee table, unhappy hipsters i mean people started to notice these trends and uh satirize them um Mm -hmm. you know full time uh you know the little terrariums and frame clusters on the walls and everyone has a Naguchi coffee table by the way that is a good coffee table but i (laughs) i love that website and a lot of these were these were tumblers and so they're they're defunct now uh but you can still find them they're archived. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, you and I, one of the things, the Welcome to Aerospace being such a great piece, and I we to- we'll link to it, it's totally recommended. Airbnb, um, <laughs> and you and I have been staying in Airbnbs because of our job, you know, really consistently since 2014 and 2015, and we've mm-hmm. watched this happen Yeah. Um, in Airbnbs across Texas, you know, going from a somewhat more kind of personal esoteric domestic space into being something that looks like
1: everything else oh yeah the first time i stayed at an airbnb the host like offered me muffins for breakfast and showed like all of the options that there were and now it's i mean now it's just kind of like the impersonal okay your key code is four zero two eight and you know just go in and there's there's a crappy IKEA table and crappy IKEA chairs that aren't comfortable if you're lucky there's a desk like but it's all it's all the minimal aesthetic dream kind of that you would envision your own house having you know it's clean it's it's consistent the the, the big thing about this is the consistency between Airbnbs and the consistency of Airbnb's worldwide at this point there's an expectation and they've kind of turned to be almost like hotels because if you get something that's a little out of the norm and you're almost used to a certain lifestyle with your airbnbs they might not that airbnb might not get a good rating and it'll just kind of disappear into the ether because there are so many that are getting perfect ratings
0: yeah, absolutely, and I think a lot of the hosts, um, you know, noticed a real shift in the client base of Airbnb, probably around between probably 2014 and 2016 where more and more people were using it, but they were expecting a hotel experience. And and a lot of what we're talking about is, fric- it's, the word is frictionless. You know, people want to be able to fly to Tokyo and stay in a space where they know where every single thing is, and it looks just like the space that they stayed in in Berlin, which looks just like the space they stayed in in London, which looks just like the space they stayed in in Cairo. A lot of sort of Silicon Valley kind of bros who are young, who are used to being extremely, you know, uh, tech forward they don't want the friction of having to figure out their space when they get there but they're constantly on the move or at least that's the ideal and then the infiltration of this aesthetic into people's living spaces and vice versa uh with these trends and i stayed in an airbnb before i moved to houston i stayed in an airbnb in houston that had just been built it was a garage apartment and i mean every single design element in that thing that would have been last year um was taken very much from the kind of the the playbook, the and then mm-hmm. oh and and then I had mom come and stay with me this last Christmas here in Houston, and because I was living in a garage apartment at the time, there wasn't room for her. I rented an Airbnb for us for that Christmas week. It was a house in the Heights, and every single design element was like there's something so insanely uniform about this. And I looked on the <laughs> driftwood coffee table, and there was a stack of magazines, and I didn't recognize. I I don't know the title of the magazine, but I looked at it. I looked at these magazines. Was like, what is going on here? And it was all the it, the magazine is a Chip and Joanna Gaines magazine. So this is one of the things that Kate Wagner goes into in this um, this normy minimalism pieces. These mm-hmm. uh, HGTV stars who flip houses and they have a very very specific aesthetic that has taken over HGTV. Apparently, cannot be. <laughs> underestimated in terms of how much it has influenced the way people want to decorate their homes and the fact that redecoration now happens much more quickly the cycles are a lot shorter it's like every two years instead of every 10 years where people get the money to redecorate their place every two years
1: i don't know well yeah that's that's what some of these articles kind of noted that there's this consistent unhappiness with our spaces partly you know we're gonna kind of end up linking everything back to the rise of social media and you know comparing your life to others but like once you fix one thing or once you kind of get everything where it should be there's always something else that you could do better and that's i kind of believe that that's true that's just a prevailing thing in life or you know that's the complaint that like homeowners have about their houses you know once you fix the AC you need to redo the roof and then you need to redo the floors but it's kind of to an ump degree nowadays also one of the things that I didn't realize maybe this is because I don't know I don't have cable like a lot of people nowadays but I didn't realize how influential HGTV has been on the general populace and on the world and how they conceptualize home spaces and how they really think about looking at and buying houses it makes sense because all of the the property brothers and you know all of these shows that are centered around finding real estate and flipping real estate it's it's all aspirational right like with Property Brothers or with Fixer Uppers or you know whatever the titles of and all of the spin-offs the subsequent spin-offs of these shows are the idea is that it's easy to just go in buy a house do a little work to it and then make 50 grand off of it mm-hmm. or with House Hunters it's the idea well it's a safe show because it's always the same format you know they're going to find a house in the end you know they'll be <laughs> moderately happy uh, and it's just, it's, it's just something to kill time almost. And you can always expect the same thing. That they're always going to be moderately unhappy because it's people who make $120,000 a year combined, but they want a million dollar home. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was, there was an article published very recently in the Houston Chronicle about tiny homes and they're tiny homes. Yeah. yeah, Tiny homes. They're, they're a whole other thing. There are some tiny homes in Houston's East end, and I've had people mention them to me and, you know, mention how they could be a, a, a good, investment or a good place to live and not throw your money away on rent but then you go and look them up on a property site and they cost $220,000 for a 650, 650 right. square foot home and you know you don't have any garage, you don't have any storage, you don't have any privacy cuz it's this little tiny home shipping container community and just Everyone, everyone has an idea of what is possible or what they could want, but the reality of it so often just is completely skewed and isn't a reality that anyone actually could stomach for a long period of time.
0: It's funny because, I mean, aspiration and the way that it collides often not that well with a much deeper y- yearning or need, which is, which is longing. I mean, there's a psychological and sort of soulful longing that people have to establish a home, a home base, a place that is an extension of themselves or they are, are an extension of it. And the way our spaces fall short of this can actually be painful And have a real impact on us psychologically. And I think what we see with the pandemic and people stuck at home all the time is people really realizing what they don't want to have to live without anymore or what they would like to have in their lives going forward and, Mm -hmm. and how, and how to get that. And if it's even possible and what we're about to face, which is a massive recession and lack of mobility and, um, you know people not even I I mean I just I just feel like this is such a weird intersection of people suddenly realizing what they need their homes to be in order to be happy but probably a a tremendous amount of roadblocks in getting that financially and
1: otherwise do you think there's going to be any sort of shift because you know I feel like a lot of times while things are through the lens of social media it's also like you want a nice home because you are having people over because you want to give the impression that you're doing well, that you have your life together, that you're a good responsible person by having a clean home. That's beautifully decorated Mm -hmm. with kind of the fallout Mm -hmm. of that because of the coronavirus and people only, you know, seeing whatever we set as our zoom background. Do you think that's going to influence things one way or the other? I mean, I, I feel like maybe it, might and they talk about this in uh kate wagner's article she talks about this in hyperallergic but how the pandemic might break us out of the airspace repetition or it might not be kate wagner's article it might be an article in the new yorker uh by the same guy that wrote welcome to airspace right but the the pandemic causing us to kind of have a reevaluation of these are actually our spaces and we're not designing them for anyone else and maybe your wayfair couch that looks really cute in a photo or or would look really cute or be comfortable for 30 minutes isn't comfortable for eight hours when you're on it doing work anymore
0: yeah i'll wish i'm gonna add a link to this post uh that somebody wrote in 2017 called why does this one couch from west elm (laughs) suck so much yeah yeah, so a lot of aspirational buying, too, and a lot of people going to the very same websites to buy. I will admit this, that when we stayed in that Airbnb in um in the Heights, my mom and I, I actually messaged, in fact, despite the fact that I'm not into the Chip and Joanna Gaines aesthetic, I did message the owner and ask where their console came from, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was walnut, and it was cool, and I didn't know if it was old or new. This is part of the tr- the trick and the cynicism of design. But I think no, I I mean, um, I think you're right. I think uh, people will be and also as the as use of social media is shifting as we speak. I mean, right now, while we're recording this, what people think is appropriate to put on social media right now is different from what they thought was appropriate even a few months ago mm-hmm. because we're in a world that is in terrible disarray and there are a lot of very urgent issues. And the idea of posting a picture of, you know, the pasta that you ate for lunch is now, I don't know. I just I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are still doing it. But the people that you and I know, in our world, there's a lot less of that. Almost none of it. In fact, as far as I can tell,
1: it's the really odd uh, transition of social media, how when it started, it was like, this is my life, then it very much got to a more experiential aspirational section of your life or your your hopes and dreams and now it's photos of uh your old life that you kind of wish you could get back to mixed with social activism mixed with nice cozy photos of your home space that aren't too revealing because you feel like you're revealing yourself to everyone in every sort of way via meetings and everything that's happening now
0: yeah, and there were—I mean, how many articles came out in March out of you know the New York Times and the Washington Post and who and New York Magazine and everything like how to how to set up your frame oh, so that your you know your teleconferencing calls look okay and how do how do even like set up your lighting so that you look okay? Um, I do think that there's been kind of a good and about a double-edged sword to social media and Instagram in particular, kind of turning everyone on to design aesthetics and having a heightened awareness of design it's that it's that more people are much more aware of the floors they stand on and the kitchen tile that they look at every day um without context that stuff really gets far far too generic and you have a lot of very young people or a lot of people who haven't thought too much about this before who are being inundated with images that are all the same oh gosh what art fair I went to an art fair a couple... It was several years. I mean, it was more like 2015. And re, do you remember when Restoration Hardware started buying booths at art fairs?
1: No, I don't remember that.
0: Under the name RH. Jeez. Um, yeah. And they would put art in it, or I guess it was art. And then, of course, the space itself was very carefully curated. Hyper, hyper designed. But anyway, again, the kind of sameness of the design that permeates social media feeds or have up until March... Um, I have your, your question is a good one. Cause my answer to that would be, I think people are going to be at least for a while, just like they're less impressed with celebrity culture right now. They're mm-hmm. less impressed with just a uh, blatantly aspirational and money oriented posts you know, I do think people are going to feel a little bit better about being more personal. I think that one of the things that's amusing about this topic, and especially for our audience, is that that very article that kicked off this conversation how normy minimalism and farmhouse chic took over contemporary design is that so much of it is just the continuing cycle. Of an artist's aesthetic being commodified for the masses, because it starts mm-hmm. with the idea that Soho lofts, you know, were taken, were disused and not being used in the '70s, '60s, and '70s, and the artists went in and repurposed them to live and work, and they had all, they suddenly had all this space to make all of this work, which was good for all of us, because a lot of good work came out of it. Mm-hmm. But the idea that there's this kind of uh, fundamental use of the space, which is industrial. And then you don't get rid of all of those uh, elements. You use them aesthetically. You 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 celebrate the aesthetics of industrial design in a loft, right? And then that stuff starts to trickle out into uh, even the suburbs and even the exurbs. And in the case of like suburbs and exurbs, what they're doing is this kind of farmhouse chic is is also a celebration of the industrial of industrial aesthetics of rural and farming life Mm -hmm. um, as found in interior spaces. And so you've got a lot of loft-like elements that are happening in houses that are being built today out in the exurbs of Houston and Dallas.
1: Well, and you can kind of tell the way that everything has been propelled. uh, The fact that Soho nowadays is high-end shops. The fact that that aesthetic has remained and that they haven't torn down the iron buildings that they've adapted all of the same you know they've basically taken an artist loft and just put tables in and now it's a high-end store the the commodification mm-hmm. goes hand in hand with gentrification in that way mm-hmm. and it's the transition is so odd and interesting like maybe one of the few public spaces that could actually kind of mark that transition is the uh, donald judd's old building in soho on spring street uh you can take tours of it you can also see photos of it online and of course donald judd is you know kind of his own minimalist aesthetic that that's a whole different conversation but that loft space and his workspace there is the perfect loft people would see it as the perfect loft now it's it's amazing how timeless it eventually became and the idea of minimalism, uh, what I really like in this hyperallergic piece, Kate Wagner's piece, also is that it. <laughs> she goes into how overwrought the word minimalism is at this point. Mm-hmm. How it's kind of re- overused. Yeah, it's replaced. Down. It's replaced the word contemporary in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, When I was reading it, I almost thought of the word curator or curated, how, you know, everyone says that a space now is perfectly curated, and basically what that means is they're saying we put thought into what goes into our space, and I think people did that beforehand, but... You know, I, I I don't know if Donald Judd would say that his space, his home was perfectly curated. Oh, probably
0: not. I'm sure that he would shit on the term, but I and think it's funny. And I I think I, I know a lot of artists who probably would as well. Yeah. But um, uh, no, you're right. And I'm sure Marie Kondo has a lot to do with that too. Is like decluttering and um, you know, just the use of minimalism has, ha- ha- yeah, it's pervaded everything as well. But you know, I and the, and the, and then there's this push pull at this point. Um, there's a New Yorker article by the same guy who wrote Welcome to Our Airspace, and he's talking about how the pandemic will shape architecture and interior spaces. And it's great, great piece. But the idea of decluttering, sort of de pestilencing things uh, by making everything cleaner and whiter and brighter and bringing, you know, light into a space and uh, and banishing the germs and the bacteria, and that was that was something that started with the sanatoriums with tuberculosis, and there's a you know there's a, a continuation of that aesthetic and these all white kitchens that are happening now, et cetera. But you know the push pull being you know people wanting to quote unquote curate their spaces with very interesting things and objects and art, versus keeping things very cleaned out and, Mm -hmm. um, spare and with the pandemic and with germs and Corona and the, and the idea that more pandemics could be happening in our lifetime as, as, um, as population density continues and Mm -hmm. climate change continues and all of that. Um, you know, what do we do going forward in terms of keeping our space, uh, feeling safe Mm -hmm. and safe? Isn't just about, um, people or about, you know, keeping bad elements out of your house that are that have to do with you know humanity but also germs
1: (laughs) yeah well see there are also there are elements to having the the clean perfect space that i mean this is this is an obvious statement but there are elements that just don't jive with actual life like for example i'm I'm sitting at a desk at my house right now that has a computer monitor a, a little set of speakers a printer like it's it There are wires everywhere. Like, this would not be a photo in a magazine. But at the same time, this makes my life actually doable rather than just having a laptop and, and sitting on the couch, you know, with, with it on my lap. I know, Christina, you and I have talked about, like, we love our printers.
0: <laughs> I have my printer! I'm sorry, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah,
1: it, it's a weird thing to say, but it's like, you know, in in none of these interiors do you ever see... Uh, like a real office that actually like has a printer, has a computer monitor. If so, it's like an air Mac, right? There's no wires. It's perfectly clean. Like I've had the same printer ever since I, I was in college and I love it. And I really couldn't live without it. I use it probably at least once a day, almost, especially now that I'm Mm -hmm. home and I'm not at our office. So Mm -hmm. there are elements of life that if you, just kind of are a normal person that has any sort of normal job or habits that make certain kinds of spaces completely uh, impossible to embody.
0: I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I have to ask you, when you walk into someone's house, and, and I don't mean to make people paranoid, but I really, really take note of people's interiors when I walk into them, because I'm so curious. When I walk into somebody's house, and it's perfectly staged, and everything is absolutely in place, and there's no clutter, and there's no printer sitting out, and there's no (laughs) cords showing, Mm -hmm. I I immediately kind of get a little bit suspicious. I mean, there's a part of me that feels a little uncomfortable. It's like, do you live in this space? Do you actually live here? Yeah. And... What does that mean? Like do you have any intellectual curiosity? Do you have hobbies? Do you read? do you listen to music? What do you do? You know, like I don't see any signs of life mm-hmm. in a place that is perfectly um, set and I and I I actually think I think very recently Jerry Seinfeld was in a video interview for The New York Times and he said, if you see if you're on a zoom and you see somebody's interior behind you that's perfectly you know, um, clean and organized and that it's basically an uninteresting person who doesn't do interesting things. (laughs) And, um, and I totally agree with that. I mean, I was like, yeah, that's right. I've thought that for a long time, but, um, but of course that's not necessarily an excuse to
1: just live in a place that's incredibly cluttered and dirty. But, um, I think that may have been, I could see that being true now. I think that may have been true more beforehand because now people i think are overworking themselves in their backgrounds because it's like all they have Mm. do you know what i mean like i don't know i totally get his point but also i don't know how true that is now
0: well i mean there are certainly there are architects who live in incredibly minimal spaces john pawson lives in a place that i don't think has any single thing sitting on any of his very few surfaces that he has i mean (laughs) Um, these are intellectuals who have uh, very, very clean spaces because that's what they demand. And um, I'm just now really, like truly living by myself for the first time in 20 years. And I'm much more of a, and we were talking about this before we started the recording, I'm much more of a maximalist than... Um, than the way I've been living in the last 20 years. And I think that's going to be reflected in my space now that I've moved into it and I'm starting to inhabit it. I just have stuff, and I like to look at stuff, and I like my stuff. Mm-hmm. I like my art, and I like my books, and I like my furniture, and I like my rugs. And um, I like to let my eye move around a room. And I tend to spend a lot of time at home, you know. I'm an introvert. Whether it's pandemic or not, I like to be at home. and um I guess what I'm trying to say is that I what I'm aware of right now in early July of 2020 is that I may be looking at these four walls or the rooms of this small apartment um, pretty consistently for the next, at least the next few months, no matter what, and probably, possibly, if not probably into the new year. And I need to make this space uh, a place where I want to spend time. And I think I think a lot of our audience are, you know, they're going through kind of the same stuff. Like, is this where I really want to be living for 24-7 for the next six months of my life? Is there anything I can do to change it? My best friend who lives in Brooklyn and is a costume designer lives in a rent regulated apartment in Brooklyn. And last night she sent me, and this is not has nothing to do with this conversation. She didn't even realize we were going to have this conversation. She sent me a 10-second video <laughs> walkthrough of her living room, which she has just rearranged after being locked in her apartment for you know four months in Brooklyn and it's like this is a big move for her to rearrange all of her furniture in her living room like what do you think oh it looks good (laughs) of course she's got this great design eye so it does look good but um you know even just these minimal changes that people can make within their space like what do you have
1: control over well that's that's the whole thing that people are looking for some semblance of newness combined with control, combined with just feeling like they're able to make a change and if they can make a change in their own space right now. I mean, that's 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 the biggest change that you can have is a a newly redesigned space to occupy. It breaks up mm-hmm. the norm of everything and it makes something feel completely different. I know I mean, I've lived in a the same space for the past three and a half years let's say and probably about a year and a half two years in we completely swapped the living room and it was it changed everything and it was nice it was like rediscovering i mean it was rediscovering your home right it was rediscovering your home it was um i mean i also think it takes a very long time to actually settle in somewhere and a lot of yeah. people haven't really had to deal with their houses this is the this is kind of the same vein of what i was saying earlier that it's like you know if you just sat on your couch for an hour and a half at the end of the day to watch tv it's different than having to do work and then leisure time and then dinner all on your couch and that'll make you really quickly realize that something isn't working so the longer amount of time you you know you spend in your Home, The easier it is to settle in. I think that's why normally, I don't know about you, I I kind of nest, but it still even takes like two, three years to properly settle into your home and realize what's going on. And I think... This last couple months, and definitely if this goes on longer, which it very much looks like it will, it's kind of expedited that process for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, certainly it has accelerated it, and I will say that I do think that under normal circumstances, it it easily takes two to three years to settle into a space kind of properly. Of course, I'm not. I mean, that's really kind of weirdly dictatorial of me to say that. But when I what I've noticed, and I've moved around a lot, I've lived in so many spaces. My God. But, I mean, settling into a space too quickly, you can see it. You can see when somebody has bought all their furniture from one place um, or that they've just decorated very, very quickly uh, kind of on the fly because they feel like they just need to occupy the space with some sort of presence and they don't really have a plan. They don't have a roadmap for it. hmm and, but yeah, this is accelerating people's idea of like, what is it to settle in a space? And now that I'm in this apartment, I really did just move into it. I was uh, sheltering a place up in Fort Worth for a little while. There's two things about that. Number one is now I'm in this one and I can imagine that by Christmas, this place is going to look pretty lived in, um, even though it's only July, uh, because of this, because I need to settle in and I need to get it um, set up in a way that I like, Mm -hmm. but also when I was in Fort Worth, you know, in terms of people working with what they have, when I was taking these ultra long walks around Fort Worth, I did walk through a lot of residential neighborhoods and what I saw just massive amounts of people outdoors working on their own landscaping and the exteriors of their own houses. Again, it's kind of like, What can I do with what I already have? How can I improve it? So all these people who were forced to stay home were like, well, it's time to do that landscaping job. And they're doing it themselves. You know, they weren't hiring landscapers. They were outdoors planting bushes and pulling up lawns and putting in, you know, xeriscaping and all of that. I watched it every Mm -hmm. single day. And I also saw them working on the exterior of their houses. There was a lot of house painting going on. And I imagine that that's happening uh, for people in their interior space as well, as long as they can get the stuff in that they need and don't have to have workers coming through.
1: That's a whole other thing. You can tell what's kind of been popular if you just go on any online shopping site, like the fact that KitchenAid mixers are out for a while or that certain utensils or that... uh, Like I I was looking at something for the container store and they were out of a lot of stuff kind of when all of this first hit. (laughs) Like it's it's very obvious what people are doing, even if you aren't seeing the actual process happen just by watching consumer trends. And the fact that frankly, the fact that like our economy has kind of maintained a little bit because there are so many people doing curbside or uh, buying online. People just need something to do is the thing oh, I do. there's always like there's always something you can do around your house even if you don't think there is like or you, if you really want to be busy you will just find something well that's that's you
0: did this too like you and I are we are busy i mean we're working but you just like a week or two ago you mentioned to me in passing i don't know if you're going to do this but you were like i'm thinking about reinstalling <laughs> The work in my apartment, and you have a lot of artwork, and it would be a days-long project, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't think that's happening. And it's like... <laughs> I know. I,
0: I, I didn't think you were going to actually do it, but the fact that you're thinking about it, it's yeah. like what you're saying is absolutely true is people want to stay busy and your eye is traveling around your apartment. And you're like, well, I could rehang this show basically is what we would say. Yeah. Um, or not. It's a, again, it's a lot of work, but it's people stretching for things to do. I mean, my mom is, you know, she's ordering curtains and blinds for her house and, you know, it's like she put off a bunch of stuff and now she's getting around to it and I think this is is probably true across the board for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the pastiche and the nostalgia factor that everyone's brought into their places versus kind of, again, looking forward into a future, a world where pandemics happen and public spaces don't seem as safe. There's a lot of speculation about this too. A lot of people, including the New Yorker article, you know, there's a, there's a lot of thought going into the fact that There isn't really, we're not going to return to the old normal. There will be a new normal, and office spaces will be very different. And living spaces, you know, the way architects and designers go about designing new living spaces will be very different. Mm -hmm. Although it will, you know, pull from design elements of the past, including post pandemics from the past and making spaces clean making spaces that are much more flexible and versatile having movable walls making sure everyone's got their own bedroom and that every bedroom has enough room for a workspace in it as a way of like keeping sound bleed out of the situation or always making sure there's a balcony or a deck or a terrace so that everyone has a little bit of outdoor space at least especially if if people are going to be forced to stay home for months at a
1: time um, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is it bad that in a way, like, you know, I like the, I like the idea in general, but I I don't know. There's something about the, the idea of having a bedroom that's an extra 50 square feet, so there can be a desk in the corner, where you wake up, you walk into your attached bathroom, you shower, you walk three more feet, you're at your desk for the next eight hours. That just seems. I don't know. That almost just seems even sadder to me.
0: Tell that to the millions of people in New York City who are doing that exact yeah, thing know. in July and they've been doing it since early March. I mean, that is the way they're living. And I think what's happening with a lot of these conversations is like, how do we make this kind of living more humane for the people who must endure it? And um is there a way to make spaces more flexible and versatile and humane even if there's not a lot of space there's always a movement toward greater housing density because of housing crises yeah there's always a move toward people moving into cities and needing to build up rather than out there's always amongst the sort of chattering class and the elite conversations about density and urbanism being superior to the suburbs and the exurbs and then when you when you how like a New York Times article writing about you know how it'll be so great with the I want to say it's um, the published the founder and publisher of dwell wrote a piece about a year or two ago about the ideal sort of condo situation in any city going forward the future of condominiums mm-hmm. and what ideal living looks like and there were thousands of comments from people all over the US including all of these New York Times readers who live in New York who are like yeah but You know this density is it's too dense like people don't want to hear and smell their neighbors they don't want to they want garages for their cars it's like what you're saying about the tiny houses thing it's like there's there's a moment when the ideal uh fails to live up to people's actual ways of living and their living conditions and what they really do prefer And a lot of people are like, you know, the American dream, buying a house, you've got your own four walls, you've got your yard, you have your garage, you've got space, you've got privacy when you have a house on a lot. And you don't when
1: you're in an apartment. Well, and the whole thing about a lot of this and a lot of this aesthetic and this argument and the open plan and all of that is it's, I mean, it's frankly just also a a very white way to think about home life it's a very eurocentric way to think about home life it doesn't take into account extended families um it's a very i mean it is an overwhelmingly white aesthetic and that's and you can tell that by a lot of the times the people who are featured within the photos or just kind of the Mm -hmm. the spaces themselves
0: yeah, I mean, Unhappy Hipsters, if you guys want to just look at what that looks like, go to the old Tumblr, Unhappy Hipsters, which was all Dwell magazine photos. It's the homeowners, you know, in their own photos, and then somebody providing a, a satirical caption about their actual misery and depression. Very homogenized images. I mean, it's and it's very, very white. Um But I just do think that there, there's always a, there's always a collision of the, of the practical versus the idealistic. And now we're not exactly sure even what the idealistic is because the idea of there's, you know, there's this. There's talk that, you know, possibly millions of New Yorkers are going to move out of New York and not go back because density is now seen as a danger Mm -hmm. rather than something desirable as a way of uh, going into the future and having, you know, a certain amount of economic uh, wisdom prevail about, you know, the suburbs are not sustainable. um, Watering lawns is not sustainable, you know, et cetera, et cetera but I think a lot of people are like, Ooh, I don't want to live in a dense apartment complex anymore. If this kind of stuff is going to keep happening, I would like to live in my own house and on a lot. Yeah. You and I, we kind of, we kind of occupy this rarefied space where most of the people we know and come across are again. It's like what I said at the top of this podcast, they're very aesthetically attuned. They're just natural. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they're artists, especially they're thinking about this all the time anyway. And they're probably not very susceptible to trends, not particularly. And I would say the same is probably true of really good art collectors, curators, academics, you know, uh, the kind of people who probably read Glass Tire most often, probably have some of the most interesting living spaces in the state of Texas, you know? yeah, And we've been lucky uh, enough to have access to that and to see that. And And it's at all price points too, from a studio apartment all the way up to multi-million dollar homes. But I think that the way individuals express themselves in their space, I do think that as social media shifts, and as the purpose of social media shifts, and as Instagram influencers and celebrity culture and stuff like that becomes a little bit more suspect, I do think that people probably will move back to something a little bit more personalized and individual. But I'm not, I am not—I can't speak to that, in particular, if the person has never really delved into it before. It kind of depends on the new generation and what they're looking at and what they're feeling. But I don't think that there's going to be so much of an aspirational thing going I think it's going to
1: be seen as sort of distasteful. I think it could be affected also by the by the fact that the generation that's kind of really influencing a lot of this right now is the like cusp of the millennial generation the older millennials and the younger gen xers who have Mm -hmm. grown up or uh kind of started consuming social media at a younger age and you and i Mm -hmm. were talking about how instagram really shifted people to be more uh, just visually aware of things of their spaces yeah of how things are framed of how things are perceived i think things could be different once we have a newer generation kind of taking some of the initiative and in the lead that was raised on it and didn't what am I trying to say? They didn't have the the shift of becoming more aware. They just were aware from the get-go.
0: That's true. I
1: want to see what that change, how that change impacts things.
0: And But one of the major generational shifts we see is that baby boomers and older Gen Xers who threw a tremendous amount of money behind their homes, their dwellings, with all this aspirational stuff... They're buying stuff. And younger generations, Mm -hmm. as we know, are more about experiences. And they don't want to spend a whole lot of money on a couch or a rug because what they would really like to do is fly to Greece, you know? Yeah. And take a lot of pictures of themselves there and then put them on Instagram. But um, I think there will be a a pulling back generationally from buying big, expensive, you know, big ticket items, buying big houses, showing off your net worth via the way you live. And I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of money swishing around, frankly, for Gen Z or younger millennials. I think that there's going to be, I think people are going to have to be really budget conscious, obviously, but the idea that now it's experiences rather than the place that you live in, Mm. that also is going to be on a collision course because you can't have experiences if you cannot go out. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you going to do with your interior space? And how much money are you gonna spend on that? I mean, that's a personal choice. And of course people who are artists who are super, super resourceful can make their space look I mean, I've seen this a million times and I know you have too. I'll walk into an artist space, that artist doesn't have any money, but their space looks fucking awesome, mm-hmm. you know? And it's because they're capable of doing that, and that's who and what they are, and they're problem solvers. But, you know, I'll be very curious to see what, like, today's 22-year-old, what kind of spaces they're living in in 10 years. Um, I would imagine it's going to be interesting.
1: I mean, Christina, if you want something uh, experiential, I know I have some friends who are looking at moving right now, and they came across a house that had a selfie wall in it, so there's that. Oh, God. <laughs> to put a
0: selfie wall inside your own place
1: but it's just for you because it's not for people that are coming over
0: because no one's coming over to take (laughs) their their Instagram picture against your selfie wall just you and your dog and your cat 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 Um, over and over I I don't know I'm I don't I don't know what's gonna happen because I think again we're kind of at this weird uh, intersection of of different kinds of needs for different very um, crucial reasons you know we mm-hmm. need to avoid uh, getting COVID, but we need to stay home all the time. We didn't, we can't use public spaces, but what does that mean about, um, how we use our own space and possibly, you know, (laughs) cohabitate your, your living room is a public space. If you live with three or four people Mm -hmm. and, uh, and all this has to be kind of adjusted moving forward. And it's got to be adjusted with the means that you have. And that may be more limited than you would like. Uh, I don't know. I like it. I like the idea. I mean, for me, the huge question and one of the most compelling psychological questions out there is where do you live and why do you live there? Yeah. And some people don't have very many choices and very many options and some people have a lot. And I'm always interested to see um, how people respond to that. Yeah, me too. So as you sit in your four walls and listen, um, we hope that you're doing okay and we hope that your space has not um, contributed too much to any anxiety you have and that it, is, it feels like a, a safe, um, serene space where you can get your stuff done. Um, and if you haven't started to get to that yet, maybe you will start to, because I don't think, <laughs> I don't think COVID's going away anytime soon. Nope. And I think that, uh, we're going to be in our spaces for a while. And, um, yeah, so
1: get comfortable,
0: get comfortable. That's it. That is, that's going to be our catchphrase right now for this podcast is get comfortable because it's fasten your seatbelt. So that's it. So that's our dirt for this week. We'll be back in a couple weeks. And uh, in the meantime, it is Fourth of July weekend, and uh, probably many people listening to that are not going to be doing a lot of celebrating. So we hope you're well and uh, staying cool and staying sane. And um, we'll be back in a couple weeks.
1: Thanks for listening. See some art.
0: See some art.